Next on BYUSN, the BYU football position coach who will play the most vital role for Cougar football this fall. Plus, is it okay to be hated as a fan base? We look at the deep questions. That is a deep question. It depends on who you're being compared to. More on that in a moment. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Thursday, April 13th. Alongside Jerem Jordan, I am Spencer Linton. This is the time for brackets, and even when it deals with hated rival fan bases. Brackets that don't matter. Uh, yeah, March was the real bracket, right? Now we're dealing with whatever brackets, but uh, here we go. On today's show, which position coaches will impact BYU success this season the most? We will break it down in uh, football, of course. Offensive line coach Daryl Funk after practice yesterday with Spencer. Which Pac-12 athletic director tweeted a reaction to a random tweet and what it means? And the newest Deep Blue featuring Ashley Hatch, who is trying to become the first BYU Cougar to play in a soccer world cup for the United States. Here are today's headlines. Beginning with BYU football, they held their penultimate spring practice yesterday. They had some live reps, including full contact for some of the quarterbacks as well. Kalani Satake said after practice, what's ahead for the team this fall in the Big 12 has provided certainly some good motivation for this spring. Overall, I think the uh, focus on the schedule, on our opponents, and uh, the excitement to get to the Big 12 conference and, and make sure we represent as best as we can year one. I think that's, uh, that's the key for our guys, the focus for our players. The Cougars wrap up spring practice tomorrow. And then it's the season, baby. We're in the long, and dreary the off season. Yes, exactly. Uh, but we're here to fill it for you. ESPN's Matt Miller released his draft rankings. Blake Freeland, 94th overall, 10th best tackled. Jaron Hall, 160th, 9th highest rated QB there. Puka Nakua, 203 overall, 29th best receiver. And somehow Mason Wake, despite not being in the draft, is 339th. Wait, what? Sixth best fullback. That happens a couple of times where Mason Wake makes these lists. It's like, he's not in the draft, guys. <laughs> Next year, he'll be in the draft. There is a fullback in the draft for BYU. It's Houston Haymoo. Houston Haymoo, that's right. Which leads us to our next headline. Jaron Hall worked out with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He has heard from, reporting to Cam Miller, almost all of the NFL teams and has worked out now for the Steelers, Colts, and Seahawks, to name a few. The aforementioned Houston Haymoo and Chris Brooks both worked out with the San Francisco 49ers. Remember, they both had nice pro days at BYU. We'll see if they can get into a camp. Formerly Bay Area players at uh, Stanford and Cal, so nice uh, by the Niners to bring them in. Baseball plays at Santa Clara, speaking of Bay Area. Cougars have won three of four, are a game back in the standings with the Broncos. Listen to game one of the series on the BYU radio app at 9 Eastern time tonight. BYU track and field competing in a couple of different meets today, the Pacific Coast Intercollegiate and the Brian Clay Invitational. The women's team currently ranked 13th nationally. The men's team ranked number two. Not bad. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. BYU spring football nearing a close, and this spring has been really the first go-around for several position coaches at BYU, at least in their new responsibilities. And certainly, the guys that stuck around are dealing with their own concerns and new roster movement. Jeremy, my question today is, which of the position coaches, not a coordinator, take Jay Hill, Aaron Roderick out of this, which of the position coaches will have 
the greatest impact or played the most vital role for BYU football this fall? And special teams coordinator doesn't count, right? Because that's my answer. I'll allow it. Kelly Papinga. I'll allow it. Um, Kelly Papinga is the edge rushers coach. Defensive line generally would be it, but uh, there's two different coaches there. I go Kelly Papinga, um, the special teams coordinator and defensive ends coach. Certainly the defensive ends need to make plays. We've seen it in the NFL over the last 10 or 20 years, right? DNs on defense are the number one position in terms of playmaking, right? Cornerbacks, you need them to throw you the ball, but DNs, you can have an impact on every single play. You could argue the tackles sort of start there, but DNs need to create more havoc for BYU. Yes. Last year, 15 sacks and 49 TFLs. Of course, those are team numbers. Third lowest in FBS in both those numbers. Just, just terrible. BYU can do way better at that position. I'm excited about. The group that BYU has, I think BYU will add to this group in the mm. transfer portal with at least one name, if not more. Tyler Batty, Isaiah uh, Banya, Blake Mangelson, and then the young guys, Isaiah Moa and uh, Bodie Schoonover and others, okay. Michael Daly. Excited for that group. Excited for Kelly to put his imprint on the defense. Obviously, Jay Hill has been outspoken and everybody about being more aggressive. This means we're going to see them get upfield more. This, scene, this means we're going to see them get after the quarterback. And I would love to see more havoc there. And I think BYU can do what Utah has done, and I've screamed this from the rooftops forever, which is they get pressure with four. And how do you win conference championships? Well, it starts on defensively not having to blitz every time. And if BYU can get pressure with four, if you bring a back row two, a corner blitz here or there, let's see some havoc. Let's see some, something crazy. Because even without that kind of aggressive defense, last year at times we saw some pick sixes, right? Um, from BYU's linebackers, but I want the defensive end specifically to be the ones that create the most havoc uh, at the start. And then everything, it, like a good secondary is dependent on a good pass rush. So Eddie Heckard will have a ton of success if Tyler Batty's good and vice versa. BYU's going to switch their base defense. We've learned that they are going to four down linemen primarily. They're going to be bringing different looks for sure, but the base defense will be four down linemen and three linebackers, and we'll go from there. And because that is happening, I feel like Sione Puha, who will be the guy focusing on the entire defensive line to a degree, but the interior lineman for sure, and working with Kelly Papinga, I feel like he has the biggest challenge, and he has uh, the opportunity to make a position group grow the most, along with K-pop. And so, I mean, can I, can I just... Add Sione Puha to what you just, just presented. Let's just line. go defensive yeah. line, right? Because Sione's doing tackles, yeah. And I know they're different, but those two are going to be heavily collaborating with the now four down linemen front. That, and BYU fans have been clamoring for, we want more pressure on the quarterback. We want, you know, none of this drop eight anymore. Like, the four down linemen... It, that alone changes the whole dynamic for BYU football. So Sione Puha working with Kelly Papinga on the defensive line, those two have the biggest challenge and I think concurrently will fill the most vital role as a position goes, a position coach group goes for BYU. Uh, yeah, there are questions everywhere. At the linebackers, like outside of Ben Bywater and Max Tooley, there's a ton of youth, okay? But I feel like it all starts up front, Jerem. Like, if the defensive line and the ends and the tackles are doing their job, linebackers are going to eat, right? And it's going to make it easier for the defensive backs if you can get to the quarterback and make them rush a throw a half second earlier, even a quarter of a second earlier. It's just going to make everything easier for the linebackers and the back seven in the defense. Sione, 
I feel like was the coaching staff, they were certainly excited to bring Kelly Papinga back, right? K-pop said, I'm super excited that Sione's coming back. And Jay Hill talking him out of retirement, massive, massive get for BYU because Dude. he knows what the challenge is. Yes. There's a ton of work to do there, and they need Sione to lead that. And he was part of that 2019 Utah team that was ranked as high as fifth going into the Pac-12 championship game if they beat Oregon there in the playoff. Wild. They lost that game, and then they lost to Texas, and sort of a, a tough finish, right, um, for the Utes that year. But that defense was so good. And Sione knows what he's doing. He has the NFL credentials. He has the credentials at Utah. Whether you like it or not, BYU is simulating what hap- has happened at Utah defensively. And certainly when I brought that up with Kalani Sitake, he mentioned, well, uh, where did Utah get it? They got it from uh, Fred Whittingham back in the day uh, at BYU, and then it went up to the U. So whatever the argument was, I don't really care. I respect how good Utah's defense has been for a long time. I would love for BYU to get to that because we've never really worried about the offense of BYU. We've always been like, you have at least that. BYU's always at least good to very good to great on offense. Mm. Right now, BYU's been very good plus 2020. Great offense. Maybe that was because you were playing no P5s, but like BYU's been awesome offensively for a long time. Yeah. If you can be good on defense, BYU last year, I would argue, was bad, right? Like no one's, well, no one's arguing they weren't, I don't think. BYU was bad on defense. If BYU was okay on defense this year, now you're talking about getting seven plus. Maybe you creep into the eight space. I think BYU is going to be in a four-two-five, a nickel with four down linemen, two backers, probably Max and Tuli and Ben Bywater. More often than you think, with the majority of Big 12 teams chucking it in a spread. Um, so I think the secondary has an argument for this conversation of whether it's Gennaro Guilford with the corners or Jay Hill with the safeties. But there's the most experience at those positions coming back right now. And so the, those aren't the ones that we have the biggest question marks Yeah. For. Plus, we're just if you tell us you're going to be aggressive on defense, that means D-line's got to be awesome. Yes. And Utah's D-lines were so good for so long. BYU, defensive linemen. You think about the Kef- Bronson and Corbin Kafusi. You think about Kairos Tonga. Kind of outside of that, haven't had those dudes the last kind of 10 years, right? Where you're like, oh, we have next-level guys. We have... Really, really good players, like all-conference type guys at that position. I think BYU's got a couple of guys that feel like they could become those guys. But to be all-conference in the Big 12 now, you've got to be an NFL draft pick kind of guy. you got to create havoc to you get have attention. To. You have to. And havoc comes in many forms like we've talked about. Sacks, TFLs, interceptions, and fumbles. Now, the two of us and selecting hurts. the defensive line with and the coaches that will lead those groups and Kelly Papinga and Sione Pua is not to say, as you you know, uh, we're referencing the defensive backs, that those position groups and position group coaches don't have their own significant challenges. Sure, I think it just starts up front. For sure, Yeah, for sure. Even on the offensive side, I look at Daryl Funk on the offensive line and I'm like, you lost Blake Freeland, you lost the Barrington brothers, you said goodbye to Joe Tukuafu, Uh, Harris Lachance is not there anymore. That's five super experienced dudes. And one sure thing, NFL draft pick, we think that the Barrington brothers are probably going to end up in the NFL. At least Clark. Right, at, le- at least Clark. Yep. But that's five notable guys. Yeah. So he's got a huge task. But we're not worried about online. You have Connor Pay and Kingsley Suamata'ia back, but 
because of the additions in the transfer portal and because BYU has been consistently good, they, when they lost Brady Christensen and others, we were like, oh boy, is this, this going to be bad? Blake no. Freeland moved from right tackle to left tackle. Can no, then they, then right they blocked for Tyler Algier and he runs for a program best in rushing yards in a season. We're excited about Ian Fitzgerald. We're excited about Paul Miner. Waylon Lapuaho. Brady Time at right tackle. Yes. We feel like that position is one that we're not too worried about. Because they produced in, the, in years past. D-line have not produced at the level we wanted. Maybe that was scheme-based. That's what we were told. Well, it's made for the linebackers to do this. But I was like, why isn't it made for the D-line to eat too? It sounds like this defense will be like, listen, everybody eats. This is a buffet. And there are a lot of dudes that are hungry. Even Harvey Unga has got a challenge, right? We, we like Aiden Robbins, the transfer from UNLV. He joins Hinkley Rapati and Miles Davis. And then we kind of see after that. But the running game... And the numbers produced by the running game were not quite what we expected last year behind a really good offensive line. Was it the most disappointing six yards per carry by it's the weird. in BYU history? It's Chris weird, Brooks right? actually had pretty good numbers. Like They ran crazy third against, short was against some yeah. bad defenses, but in big games, especially in third and short, the running game just kind of disappeared. What do right? we see? Seven of 14 on third and three specifically? Like that wasn't good enough, right? Yeah, yeah, it just it just wasn't good. So yeah. they've all got their challenges in, in unique ways. Fessy Satake is like, hey, I need to add depth to the wide receiver core. Absolutely. Right? I, there are three we love, and then there's some young guys. Yeah. Yep. Okay, topic two. CFB Home on Twitter is doing a bracket of most hated fan bases. <laughs> uh, this is April 13th content for you. Utah is a two-seed against uh-huh. three-seed BYU right now. Uh-huh. Uh, the poll has Utah winning. By nearly 9%, as mm. you can see on the screen, 54 mm. to uh, 45. Is it okay to be a hated fan base? I don't like the idea of being labeled as a hated fan base, but I will say this. This is the one occasion that I can recall ever that I would totally be okay losing to Utah. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. You, you can have this one. Also, hi. Why are you watching the show? You can take it. You've got the lead. Yep. Enjoy it. Yep. Relish it. Uh, maybe we should bring Bearcat Matt into this, get him involved. Yeah, <laughs> you take a banner big, and rice eccles. All the Big 12 schools. Right next to your Rose Bowl participation Feel trophies. free to vote for Utah. Totally to okay. <laughs> I, I don't like the idea of yeah. BYU being a most hated fan base. I don't know that I entirely agree with that. Maybe Bigotry! Maybe annoying to a degree and, and unique and different and weird or whatever. Oh, yeah. but we it's like we're weird. Yeah. Hated fan base? Like, if I pulled everybody outside the state, would BYU's fan base be like, oh, I hate that fan base? Like, well, if we go to give, the, it, give it a couple years in the Big 12. Then we'll see. Then <laughs> we'll see. But years. right now, it's like, well, yeah, I, I mean, Utah certainly hates BYU's fan base. Utah State hates BYU's fan base. Boise State. Those are the rivals. But, like, are the, the feeling are, is mutual. Are the schools outside of the rivals, like, do they hate BYU's fan base that much? Because we hear so much like, oh, great trip. They give you free ice cream. I hate them. They gave me free ice cream. But those are the people showing up. I I think we need to clarify, uh, because hate is a strong word, but I really, really don't like you, said the plain white tees. Um, I think we're talking about sports hate. We're not talking about real hate. I think real hate is a dangerous thing, right? Um, But Certainly, sports hate. sports hate, Bill Simmons said, I don't hate the Lakers. Um, I sports hate the Lakers, right? As a Celtics fan. <laughs> yeah, I don't hate the Utes. Like, sports hate? Yeah, that's different. It's a rivalry. It's competitive. It's fun that way. It's all good. We chide each other. We, we you know, take it, you take it on the chin and you move on and you play and you have fun. Um, life is better because you're competing um, with each other. Uh, yes, I agree with you. I would love to lose this poll. 
Is it okay to be hated? Yes. Uh, you you are typically you are, means be, you're good. You are irrelevant if no one hates you. You are irrelevant. Does typically, anyone hate it means Florida? you're good. Does anyone hate Florida Atlantic? You know what I mean? Um, New Mexico sports like hate like no come on now um no BYU certainly draws the ire of certain groups for various reasons sports and uh-huh. otherwise uh-huh. because we have a certain uh, attitude you know a certain sports ego uh that comes here and I can see why people might not like it that's okay we don't always like what everyone else is doing uh so it's okay no it's fun it's it's not a serious thing like a surgeon or a pilot where if you mess up people die okay this is sports it's sports hate. It's not real. Yeah, lose the poll. Congratulations, the poll. Utes. Let's you just go ahead and declare it. You can move on you to the next one. You win that and the Pac-12. You are a more hated fan base than BYU's fan base. Also, again, uh, <laughs> welcome to the program. Why do you watch? We welcome you. Our question of the day. What do you think? Is it okay to be a hated fan base? Neil Henshaw on Twitter says, if someone, or many people, he adds, don't hate you, yeah. then you're irrelevant. Amen. Yeah. I'd rather be a hated fan base than one that no one cares about, like, say, Colorado State. What's up, Dallin Holker? This, if you are good, your fans are going to be yeah. obnoxious and annoying. So, yes, it is relevant. So, like, it, it typically means that you we, have good teams. And we are uniquely, uh, well, we're not unique, I guess. We, we reference things that happened a long time ago as still being relevant, too. Like, the Natty is awesome. Long time ago, we got to kind of update that. That's like the dude in Sunday school that only references spiritual experiences from his mission. You got to have some recent stuff, too, dog. Can't just be like, yeah, 20 to 40 years ago, I had this one spiritual experience. What about recently? BYU football continues to try and add to that well, right? Um, winning the Natty is certainly top of the mountain. But, hey, let's get some other stuff in here. Um, which BYU has over the years. Hashtag BYUSN Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to join the conversation. Is it okay to be a hated fan base? Well, in, let's go. Okay, one game separates third through seventh place in the WCC baseball standings right now. So the Cougar Series at Santa Clara Crucial, fifth and seventh respectively. This is the game tonight, game one, 9 Eastern on the BYU Radio app. Up next, why BYU offensive line coach Daryl Funk does have a significant challenge, but why he believes his offensive line will be just fine after so many key departures. This is BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. Alongside Jerem Jordan, I'm Spencer Linton. Following BYU football spring practice yesterday, I spoke with BYU offensive line coach Daryl Funk. On topic, the leadership role on this year's offensive line, why this group is more athletic than last year's group, and why the coach is potentially going to headbutt his players after a big play. <laughs> this is Daryl Funk, one-on-one. Coach, you've been around college football for a long time. A lot of different teams, a lot of different programs. What makes this spring football unique and different than the other spring football scenarios you've been around? Well, they're all different. That's the first thing. If I went back the last 30 plus years, I thought they're all different because sometimes you come in with a bunch of vets. Sometimes you lose some guys. Sometimes you're like, wow, I don't know who's going to play. And then all of a sudden people stand up. But that's that's my point is someone always steps up in spring and, and they're like, wow, I didn't think he was ready to go and he's good. That's what spring ball is for, you know, and establish some rhythm. But, but I think, like I was just mentioning to you, two years ago I stood here and it was like, okay, we lost Brady and those other two and, and you know, some other guys weren't proven and what are we going to do? And we ended up having a pretty good year, you know, that way. So I feel like 
that's still the plan and we'll we'll plug in the spots we you know we move Kingsley over to the left side which is you know one move that that's good and but we'll have some guys uh, all healthy in the fall but I'm, I'm pleased with where we're at there's some good days and bad days for sure but uh, but I'm, I I think back to your original question everyone is just slightly different I can't say I've ever had one exactly the same how would you explain the energy surrounding the offensive line specifically with all of the changes and the key pieces that have moved on? Well, I think it's a mixture sometimes based on the day of excitement and you got guys hungry to play and then other times some of the guys are a little tentative and, and maybe they get beat on one and then they slow it down. So, But as far as energy and enthusiasm, I think for the most part, they're, like I said, you're going to have an off day or something too, and our, our defense is playing real well this spring. But, but I would say uh, I, I'm pleased with it. Sometimes, you know, and every group's a little different with leaders too. And, you, and just because a guy's a rah-rah guy doesn't necessarily make him a leader, but the energy from the group comes from that some, but it more comes from putting a guy on his back or pancaking a guy or a great double team they know sprung a touchdown or that's what gets a line going and, and when we've done those things in the spring these kids have fired up and, and and I feel good about their energy. I was joking with Aaron Roderick because I know he's such an even keel guy about you know don't get too excited coach when you see a big play where are you in the emotional spec when you see a big pancake block or springs a big run like what where are you in the reaction mode? Well I don't headbutt guys anymore, and I don't do a whole bunch of chest bumping. Uh, I'm excited. I'm just excited in a little little different way. That's why the GAs have to be faster than me on the sideline. But, but no, I, I love those plays. And to be honest with you, whether it's this spring or last fall, when we've had some big plays, sometimes I'm late on hearing the next call because I'm still fired up about something. Uh, you know, just I could think of several plays like that. But, uh, but no, I I love this game. Uh, it's given so much to me and. To be able to come out on the grass and look at those mountains and be around kids and coach a game, I mean, my gosh, that's work. That ain't work. Uh, you know, that's just a dream come true. And I'm not trying to be corny. That's how I feel every day. Now, some days are better than others how you lead the field. But, you know, I just think uh, I think this group, the, the staff, you know, the, the different energy our defense has right now and the, and the excitement that we have on some things and, and plus going into the Big 12, I think it's all going to come to a head at the right time in the fall. Offensive line coach Daryl Funk is with us on BYU Sports Nation. You brought up leadership specifically, and I want to kind of address that term. Connor Pay clearly is a leader because of his veteran experience, his position as the center. But who else is joining Connor on that leadership front for the offensive line? Well, you, you mentioned Connor, and he's you know played guard, he's played center, he knows the offense, and, and he has his style of leadership that way, uh, somewhat like a coach in a lot of ways. Uh, you, you know, you've got Kingsley who just knows one speed in practice and he goes and goes and tries to hit somebody and gets it fired up about. So he's not a big rah-rah guy, but his energy you feel in the plays he makes. Uh, Paul, I know he's not practicing this spring, but he's won a lot of games and won championships. So, and, and just watching him play, he's going to give us a fire in the fall that that uh, that will really help us. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not a leader in a room isn't always the guy that wants to talk all the time. In fact, back even when I played, I could name two guys that talked all the time. Were my junior and senior year. 
that I just wanted to slug all the time. They didn't do anything for us or the team, but they talked, so we just ignored them. I don't think we have any guys here like that for sure, but I just think, uh, and, and again, the, the group grows. It's a different group. They've been together only since January we did meetings, so kind of evolves, and we'll add a few more pieces. And like I said, by the, by the time we get to mid-August, whatever, the chemistry will be a whole different, unique set of, of uh characteristics if that makes sense and and that's why it's so fun too because it's every team's different i know kalani says that every team's different but every position group year to year is different and these guys are fun and you know i get on them sometimes love them up other times you know because i'm competitive they're competitive but uh but no i'm really excited about what the group's going to be we're a long way from a finished product but we're going to be fine Without question, you lose some key pieces, and we're super excited to watch what Blake Freeland is going to do in the NFL. Joe Tukuafu is a big piece, and he started a number of games. Harris Lachance, the Barrington brothers transfer. Who are some of the young guys that you're seeing stuff from in spring ball specifically that you think could have an impact and help out in filling some of those prominent shoes? Well, you know, right now we've got uh – I mean, obviously Kingsley's still a young guy, but he's a returning veteran, and he's probably the one that, of the younger classes, that jumps out the most, you know. But we've had guys that have have really improved since last year, and even since the start of spring. I mean, you got Tyler Little that has, you know, finally grown into his body as a lineman. And you got to remember, he didn't play football for four or five years; he's a basketball player. So he's shown some good things. Trevin Osler, I think, uh, has really done some good things at times. Uh, you know, a couple of Peter Falonico coming out of a redshirt year has gotten a lot of work at center, which is awesome, and he can also play guard. But, you know, we have some some other new kids who come, and when Waylon uh, gives us a breath of fresh air in the room, and, and you know, he's a, a guy that has a chance to, to be in the mix. Um, Ian Fitzgerald's played a lot of football. Doesn't yeah. say much, but does some really good things and, and, and that. But we're, we're uh, I think we've got enough young guys, and we've got a few more people that we're gonna add at some point. And then, uh, but I think it's going to come together. You, you take those guys that have got better. Now, what the crazy thing is, our first group out here right now in the fall, I'm not saying they can't be with the first group, but it's going to look a lot different. Yeah. But those, those guys are going to have basically starter experience because they just went through three or four practices with, with the first group. Because I don't care if it's spring, fall camp, or, the, or up there at the stadium. If you're with the ones, there's a different expectation uh, if you're playing, and they're gaining that experience. So I'm excited about that. Pro football focus is a key metric that the football world kind of seems to rely heavily on. I don't know how much you're into those statistics, but looking at last year's offensive line, we're talking about you know, the number one rated pass-blocking offensive line and number 12 run-blocking offensive line. But you said, we're gonna, we can be better. We, we need to be better. What are some of the aspects that you are looking to improve upon specifically in gameplay and formations and whatnot as you push from what we thought was a really good line last year into next season? Well, and I do respect the PFF. I, I like looking at the better stats. I forget <laughs> the bad ones. I'm just kidding. I, I don't look at a bunch of that, but I really have a lot of respect for all they do because we use some of their stuff for scouting purpose. Sure. And they do a lot of really good stuff. But, uh, but I would say this, I mean, our, what we do to protect the quarterback, how we, you know, how we block up front's part of it, what our tight ends do involved in that game, how quick we get the ball out, our running backs and different things, how we mix it up. I mean, that, that, that's huge and we'll continue that. We'll always add, we've added a few other little things for sure. Running the ball is always a little different deal, you know, coming off, losing Tyler off the year before and then last year was kind of a <clears throat> running back committee. It, it, 
we still did some really good things at times. Uh, we got run game going later in games. Early it was stagnant a little bit, and I think a part of that was growing with the, the new running backs. And, and it's hard when you had 25 toting the rock, and yeah. you know, and then Peeney coming in for his carries. That was a really good, well, for my first year, and then the year before. That that's it's just consistent. They run in the same places. You know how to block it. He knew how we were going to come off at certain times on the combos and stuff. And sometimes, you know, when you're running four uh, four running backs in there. You know, it just takes a little while, but we still we still did enough in some running. Get finished on a good note. I think we rushed for what 200 or more in the last four of the last five games. Yeah. That might have been a PFF set, <laughs> but um, but no, you just try to build on it. You never stay exactly the same. We're going to add a few things, feature a few things, uh, explore a few little things that we already started doing in the in the off season, and then just kind of build because you can't just do the same thing every year. Even if you have all the same guys, even coming into the 21 year, we changed a few things. Uh, some pretty subtly and some pretty drastically and, and added a few things that give some people trouble. I want to ask you about the defense. You mentioned, and you're not alone. I've heard this from every coach and every offensive player. The defense is just different, and it's making the offense better, albeit there are some frustrating moments for the offense because the defense is flying around and giving different looks. But how has it made your job a little bit more unique this spring? Well, it's, it creates a lot of the issues that you see in, in week five or week seven that are a little bit unique or different. And when you've worked through those issues at practice, um, that helps because on three days, hey, this is a way different blitz scheme or something like that. That can be hard, you know, in the middle of the yeah. season. So getting some of those concepts and different things, not exactly what we're going to see, but just maybe more variety and makes us really test our, our calls, our schemes, and then makes kids see it. So when I've been around this, and, and they've got great energy, their kids playing hard uh, and, and everything, and I'm just, you know, they get excited, they get after us, they're kind of in her face and all that, and we, I don't like that much, but <laughs> I would be too. But but they're, uh, but that's the thing. I, but I'd say back to your original point, it's, it's the schemes, it's what's happening, it's how we have to adjust, and that'll go a long ways to helping us adjust in games because sometimes I've had it happen before when when the DC had a you know really nice defensive scheme yeah. uh, I think we had it a couple places like that and it was like sometimes it was a pain in spring and fall camp you're like geez we're gonna do another blitz drill or another but by the time we get into the year and it'll happen up here too someone will throw, uh, show a blitz and we're trying to identify it from the box and the kids will come over and they say oh that's just that we Ooh. saw that in the spring and we picked it up and and that's so so that's that's the thing and i guess i would compare it to in some ways to uh well like i said the variety of the defenses and everything is going to make us better in the long run makes for a tough day or two you know here and there but i'd rather that and just get better at it and uh but we're going to create some problems they do a really good job well your offensive coordinator aaron roderick has raved about the offensive line and certainly kingsley and, and connor and other individuals and he said, I just feel like from an athleticism standpoint, this group is actually more athletic than the departing group. Why do you feel like that is the case? Well, some of it started like in winter runs and everything, just watching kids run and different things or watching them like with Paul and, and you know, some of those guys running on tape and playing. Part of it's that. But, you know, you just it starts with a guy like Kings, you know, moving him to the left side. And Blake was a freak. He killed the combine and all that. But... Kingsley's no less athletic than Blake, I, I promise you. You know what I mean? So we haven't lost a tick there. And then when you just look, Connor be, you know, 
if, if he's a center or if he's a guard or if Paul's a center, Paul's a guard, they're going to be just another year better. Uh, you know, I think uh, whoever's playing left guard, I think, uh, or right guard, either of the guards, I think he's got a chance to run better and move better. I do. And then we'll see what happens at right tackle. But I think, a lot, it start, like I said, it starts in offseason and watching guys move and run. Uh, sometimes in the middle of a practice when guys are trying to figure out something, they don't run as well yeah. and everything. So sometimes, you know, just watching a play, you see a play looks ugly because the guy's not moving as well. But when they know what they're doing and, and we get everyone on the same page, it really athletic group. Coach, we always like to cast light on the offensive line. They're guys that deserve more credit. So we appreciate you doing this interview and uh, taking the time with this. And hopefully, you know, while you're not going to be headbutting guys, there are more moments where maybe you miss a play call because you're excited. Uh, I'll, I'll continue to do that. And who knows, we make a big enough play maybe. <laughs> if you see me with a bloody eyebrow or something like that, it means, yeah, I got fired up. I headbutted someone and, and uh, the trainers will look at me after we celebrate and sing the fight song. You may see it. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Coach. Thank you. Offensive line coach Daryl Funk. He's going to play a huge role as a position coach. Jerem, I hope at some point this season that we might see something like that. A headbutt from no, Coach Funk. No, no, no. That's <laughs> concussion protocol. That's that's a bad idea. It means it's been an incredible play. Yes. <laughs> I love that he admitted, yeah, I sometimes miss the call on the next one. If BYU gives up a sack after a huge play, it's because they celebrated too hard. But also, uh, he hinted several times that they're going to add more pieces. I wonder in the transfer portal if they will continue to get another player or two. It sure seems like it based on what he said. It opens back up in two days. Yes, it does. Okay, sixth-ranked men's volleyball wraps the regular season up Friday and Saturday, 9 Eastern time on the BYU TV app both nights on BYU TV Saturday as well. Huge game, sixth-ranked BYU, eighth-ranked Stanford. If either team wins both, two seed. If they split, the loser is the three seed, Ooh, okay. depending on tiebreakers. Uh, a lot could happen. A lot could happen. Huge match. Secure the perfect home season. Yes. Let's go. Up next is trash talking via billboards the new thing when it comes to rivalries. It's a thing for sure. This is BYU Sports Nation. Mm, right. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store. Official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media for content throughout the day. Uh, it's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. He is Jeremiah Spencer, and you know what time it is. Let's whip it! Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. College Hoops bracketologist Rocco Miller reports BYU and Arizona State are two of the four teams who will be in the Wooden Legacy, a multi-team event, or MTE, this year in Vegas. Are you good if this is BYU's MTE? Absolutely. As long as it doesn't involve, like, elite level teams besides Arizona State. Arizona State's not exactly elite level. I, I just want it to be too hard. You're always going to face plenty of difficulties. Well, I want one T MTE where it's really hard, and then I want BYU to mail it in um, to try and get at least 10 wins. Um, in non-conference. They will not be prepared for Big 12 play no matter what happens anyway, mm. but you need a bunch of wins going in to give yourself a shot at being in the NCAA tournament. Here's where I probably don't want the other difficult teams in that specific tournament, because BYU is going to play Utah and Utah State probably. And San Diego State Utah, is up, up reportedly already on the schedule. Yeah, so you're probably good, but Utah State is going to be perhaps rebuilding with the new coach. Utah uh, didn't make the NIT. They won't take it. Easier the better in the non-con. Did Utah make the NIT? I don't think so. Right? I don't <laughs> no, pay attention. They didn't. West Virginia sports blogger and Twitter personality at MHVer3 tweeted yesterday, quote, heard from a source that 
Colorado's board may vote on leaving the Pac-12 as early as Monday. Rick George, Colorado's athletic director, responded on Twitter, quote tweet, saying, there is absolutely no truth to this tweet. Jerem, what does it say that athletic directors are now responding to expansion Twitter speculation? Sensitive much? Yeah, I, that's pretty funny. I can't wait for Tom Homo to just be quote tweeting like, <laughs> no, chocolate uh, cougar tails are not here to stay. Um, yeah, certainly there's a level of sensitivity there with the Pac-12. Well, he's not alone, Rick George, because Mark Harlan of the University of Utah has quote tweeted some other yep. things. Notably, give me a break yeah. to some other expansion news. Is Rick George even a, a real name? Speaking of the Big 12, Pac-12 relation, Coug Connect, one of the NIL providers for Cougar Sports, created a billboard that says, this is CW country. Mm. What do you think of this level of trash talk? I think it's hilarious, but I don't like that it's associated with BYU. Uh, agreed. I would have preferred if it had Utah stuff on it, honestly. <laughs> Like, Cause this is ESPN country. I know it's Coog Connect, but even, even if it just says, this is CW country, and then like the website below, coogconnect.com, it doesn't even have to say anything else. Yeah. Like, this is, everybody knows, yeah. if you know, you know. I, I would rather have it associated with Utah, given the Pac-12 rumors about TV rights and so on. I, I You know what? Uh, a for effort uh, on the, <laughs> trying to be fun. And I know the Coog Connect guys are great. Yeah, it's, I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's, it's, it, just, it's funny. I think it could have been funnier with yeah. Utah. All right, the next topic from our guy Jason Shepard, who posted the following. A yep. picture of a BYU cornhole set okay. for sale at a Target in Denver, Colorado. Shep went to go see the Cardinals play the Rockies. Going back to Colorado, Jerem. Yeah. Oh, that's where you went, Shep. Is this a further sign that Colorado is Big 12 country? I think Rick George just tweeted that no, it is, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you own a cornhole set, by the way? I don't. I don't either. I know Ben. Uh, ben, did you make your own, our producer? That's pretty cool. I would like one, though, like a BYU one. That'd be awesome. I probably should. In fact, my brother-in-law, Mark, who made the skateboard a while back that I brought yeah. the longboard, yeah, he's cool. a master woodsworksman, um, and he makes cornhole sets. A woodworker? Woodworker. Yeah, I, should, I should have a, a I don't know what a, they call it. Yeah. A, a craftsman with wood? I don't know. Carpenter? A car carpenter? <laughs> what? Question mark? A master carpenter? Yeah. Okay, he's really Shout good out at, to the he's master really carpenter. He's really good at woodworking. He's made some BYU and like college cornhole sets, so I should ask him for it. Like, we should probably have it in studio. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, you know, Beavis and Butthead a little bit there, but that's okay. Okay, Salt Lake is making a bid to become a Major League Baseball expansion market. Would you abandon the Orioles? to embrace a new local expansion team. No, I don't like have that. no, I don't have to abandon my favorite lifelong childhood favorite team to support a new team. I would I would root for a new team in Utah because of where I live, but no. I'm, I'm sticking with the Orioles. <coughs> They'll always be number 1 to me. The number 1. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I wouldn't abandon the Mariners. No, I grew up with the Orioles and Cal Ripken Jr as my hero. Like that's not going away ever. So, but I'm happy to host uh, Utah team as number two in my power ranking, personally. It'd be, it'd be sweet if MLB right. got, uh, you know, came to Salt Lake. That'd be awesome, though. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. And the Mariners and the Orioles would come to Salt Lake City. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. BYU women's soccer legend Ashley Hatch is working to earn a spot on the United States women's national team World Cup roster. Amazing. Her journey to repping the red, white, and blue is the central focus of our Deep Blue feature next on BYUSN. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Maersk. 
your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation live in Studio B. Former All-American and a BYU women's soccer legend, Ashley Hatch has 18 appearances with the United States women's national team, including two over the past week as the U.S. ramp up for this summer's World Cup. Not bad for someone who didn't even like soccer when she first started playing. This is Deep Blue featuring Ashley Hatch. Oh, she's discovered soccer. Kick it again. Okay, kick it. Good kick. Stop to the races. Wipe out. When Ashley and Brianna were uh, starting out things, we actually started having them in dance. I think uh, Ashley was four or five. Mm -hmm. And so I was proud papa with my camera there videotaping. And the one thing I noticed when Ashley was out on stage is she didn't have a smile on her face doing the dance. She could just tell that that was not her thing, that she had a lot more uh, energy and, and she needed to find something that suited her more. So the next year, um, just talking with my daughters, Ashley was like, you know, Dad, I want to I wanna do sports. Ever since I can remember, I just wanted to be Ashley. Like, she's my best friend. I idolized her because she's so amazing, right? So we did dance, and then all of a sudden I noticed she's not there anymore, and I'm like, wait, why am I doing this? <laughs> and then I see how much fun she's having in sports, and I was like, yeah, like I told my dad, I was like, I'm not, I'm sorry, dance is great, but I'm doing what she's doing. As soon as I can remember, my dad had me playing like t-ball with the boys um, because the girls didn't start playing until they were older, and he just wanted to put me in sports. He also had me playing tennis. Um, I ran like cross country and track, and then played softball, and then came soccer. She didn't like soccer at first either. Yeah, because I started playing later, like you had, we had positions, and we actually had to like stay in our positions. I thought you could just chase the ball around, but because I started later, my coach kept telling me to stay on the left side. He's like, stay on the side, and I was like, why? The ball's over there. So uh, I didn't <laughs> like it at first, but my parents made me finish the season and I didn't score a goal the whole year except for like my last game. And I remember my last game driving home. I got super excited, super pumped. I was like, I was like, Dad, like can you believe I scored a goal? And then he kinda like turned back to me. He was like, of course I can believe it. And you're gonna score a lot more. And I was kind of just like, oh. That was like the beginning. Once we started playing club soccer, um, playing Sundays kind of entered our world and we needed to decide as individuals and as a family, like what we wanted to do. Me being the oldest, I knew whatever I decided to do kind of set the precedence for my younger siblings. And at the time it was a really like hard decision because we were getting pressure from our coaches and teammates of like, hey, like we need you guys. And so it was like, I don't want to let my teammates down, but also this aspect of my religion and my faith is really important to me. So I sat down and I, I said, okay, well, if we do the club thing, it's it's a Sunday. You know, we don't try not to do things on Sunday and keep the Sabbath day holy. And and so they they understood that. And I said, so that's something that, you know we're up against. Then you guys are up against. We prayed about it, and I ultimately decided that I didn't want to. From early on, started telling our coaches like, hey, like we really appreciate being on this team, but if we're going to continue, like we would um, like to not participate on Sundays. By going through that experience, that helped me gain that 
foundation and that testimony, like, no, this is what I'm going to stick to. I don't care what everyone else thinks or does or says. I'm just, I'm not going to play on Sundays. I think I was blessed in many ways because of that decision and maybe not the ways that people would think. I don't think my path was really any easier. I think I was blessed because it made the path a little bit harder. You know, you don't want to play on Sunday. Um, you need to be even be better. You need to be better than most of the girls. And so when Brianna and Ashley were playing together, they just had to really prove that they were good enough to be on the team. And sometimes they missed championship games. And later on, they got to play against some of those teams that weren't on Sunday and got to shine no matter what. And I think they were really blessed, and I think it strengthened their testimony. We can still play our sport, but we can also choose the right and go to church and serve our Heavenly Father at that time. My first camp with BYU was the summer going into my freshman year of high school. I think it was like at that camp that we became like BYU soccer fans, like true BYU soccer fans. And then every year we kept coming back. I think it was the summer after my sophomore year that Jen invited me into her office and said that they would love for me to be a member of the BYU women's soccer team. The left foot. Headed in! Ashley Hatch with her 13th goal of the season. That ball skips across. Pressgrave retreating. Boscancelos to Medeiros! And put back in! Ashley Hatch scores two goals in under a minute. My senior year at BYU, Jen called me into her office and she was like, I just got a call from Jill Ellis. Do you know who that is? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, they have a camp coming up and it's starting here in Salt Lake City and they want to invite you. So I was super excited and she just congratulated me and she's like, you might want to go call your dad. So yeah, my heart was just pounding. I was just like, wow. I mean, I, you know, we, it was always a goal of hers and of ours. We set out as, you know, she loved watching the U.S. Women's National Team as, an, as a little kid. And so to get that call, as a, as a college player at BYU, it was just like, it was just so surreal. They had a game at Rio Tinto against Switzerland, and I got the opportunity to step on the field and wear the uniform for the first time, and it was basically a dream come true. To see her walk on the field and to see her, you know, her name light up, um, and the crowd was cheering for her. I was literally just like, shaking because I was so happy for her. And I just remember the girls cheering her name and I was like, that's right, that's my sister. It was kind of a sneak peek into like, is this what I really want to do? And it definitely was like being able to play with girls that are just faster, stronger, quicker, smarter. I was like, I want to get to this level. I had prayed about if going the professional route was for me and I was felt a lot of overwhelming peace about it and I knew that wherever I would go or wherever I would get drafted that I would be able to find a ward family. I got drafted second overall which I also wasn't really sure about. I didn't know where, where I was going to go, how early my name was going to get called but once my name got called to go to North Carolina I was super excited and I didn't start till like halfway through the season. And once I started and started scoring goals, I, I quickly created a name for myself and people knew who I was. And so winning Rookie of the Year was really cool just because I was like, wow, like I can, I can do this, I can play among all these players. But after winning Rookie of the Year, 
Um, I got traded, I went from the best team in the league to the worst team in the league at the time. And I've been with that team, the Washington Spirit, since. And we've climbed our way up and we were the 2021 NWSL champions. So I was able to win a championship with the Washington Spirit. And in that same year, I also won Golden Boot, which is the most goals scored um, during the season. Ashley's just a pure goal scorer, and um, she showed that in the league the last couple of years. And so for her to get the opportunity and, and be here now consistently, um, she's done great. That's quite the validating comment. Hey, Alex Morgan. Yeah, Alex nice. Morgan. No, Ashley's incredible, and uh, there have been some amazing women's soccer players at BYU over history. She is, um, you know, you could argue the best. Shauna uh, Rob uh, Robach. Amazing with all those goals, but no one has you know played Ascended with the, US, the way that Ashley has. And she, it, I fully expect her to make the World Cup roster. In fact, I'll be disappointed if she doesn't. That's coming up in July and August. U.S. playing Vietnam, the Netherlands, and uh, Portugal. Super excited about it. But Ashley has been awesome. Actually, took her teammates to the Washington D.C. Uh, Temple Open House, which was pretty cool. So she's been a great rep of BYU. And yeah, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can watch the full feature right now, BYUSN.com, including that story that uh, Jaron was just alluding to and how it influenced the game-winning goal. Yeah, all the deep blues, shows, games, you can find them on BYUSN.com or download the BYU TV app. Still on the way. Is it really okay to be a hated fan base? We have more of your responses. And one from the guy who created the poll. This is BYU Sports Yeah, Nation. weigh it in during the show. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. Our question of the day prompted by a fan poll from at CFB Home, is it okay to be a hated fan base? I answered earlier in response to the Utes and Cougars facing off in the most hated fan base bracket. This would be the one time I'm absolutely okay losing to the Utes. Absolutely. CFP Home has responded, Jerem. Spencer, come on, man. You always want to beat the Utes. Not in this one. No. Not in this I one. I do not want to beat no. Utah in this instance. Our Elite Voice of the Day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated from Ethan Brown on Instagram says the wicked hate the righteous in response to hated fan bases. Okay. Okay, let's not go there. Today's Rise and Shadow presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. John Beck for his appearance on the Rich Eisen Show. Go back and listen to it. Really good job. Fantastic. Our thanks, to yeah, our thanks to today's guest, Daryl Funk. Sergeant Dennis, ran out of time. For Jerem, I am Spencer. Shout out to Elena Madero. We'll see you tomorrow for a jam-packed Friday BYUSN. Go Cougs.